all the way from Florida. Uh, hallelujah. So let's give him a great big victory. Welcome with a hand clap. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Good evening, everybody. Man, once again, an honor to be here. I see the youth this, uh, this afternoon, this evening. I had a great time with them this morning, and, uh, and I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed myself. Uh, one of my passions is to really, really just encourage youth, encourage our youth of the day, because, man, the things that they go through, the struggles that they're having to face is nothing like the struggles that we grew up with. Man, the devil really is, as we can see everywhere, is ready to, to attack and, and destroy our youth. The youth are really endangered, especially the youth uh, that are faith believers or followers. I mean, anytime any Christian or Jesus or God, any of our youth are saying that, they're putting a target on their back. So we've got to, man, we've got to help them. We've got to encourage them. We've got to do everything we can to build that foundation in our youth. And I'm telling you, Pastor Jerry, Pastor Lane, they put a lot of emphasis on the kids and youth ministry here. That's what got me started here. Give them a big hand clap for, for leadership. Being able to see an importance on the next generation, because I'm telling you, around America, a lot of leaders cannot see the importance of kids' ministry and youth ministry. They don't see it. They, their churches are more of personalities and egos, and they believe that that's so much more important than investing in our youth. Amen? And they don't understand that this is the generation. This is what's coming up. This is who we need to empower and equip for the, for the devil, for the world. Amen? I'll tell this story, man. Uh, how I got started in ministry uh, was right here, right back there. Uh, I think I was sitting somewhere in the back as teenagers. That's just what you do, sit in the back of the church and goof off. But Miss Elaine, she came up to me and she said, hey, one of my workers, uh, they're not here. What do you think about going back in the kids' ministry and putting on a puppet? Puppet, man, you know. And she asked me in front of all my friends. I was like, man, she bust me out. I don't want to go back there. It is not cool to work in ministry in the children's church and be a teenager. They just don't go together. So, you know what? I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll go back there. And, uh, man, I went back in kids' ministry there. And, man, I'm telling you, I wanted to find the ugliest puppet I could find. And I did. They had this frog that had the biggest lips on it I have ever seen. And I was like, that's the one for me right there. That's the one I want. And, uh, you know, I had to come up with a name for it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to call this frog Booger the Frog. He is going to snort and spit boogers at the kids. The kids are going to love it. So, man, I put that frog on. And, man, I had some girls come up and, you know, give the frog a kiss. When they came up, I came up with some silly string and sprayed them all in the face. And from then on, Booger was a hit in kids' ministry. It was. And from then on, I was like, you know what? This is kind of cool. This is kind of cool. This is, this is where I belong, and I realized that's where God had called me. And it was just, you know what, just being available. I didn't know what was happening next into the future, but I just made myself available to God right then and there and said, God, you know what, just use me however you want. I don't have to be in front. You know, you can use me in the back. I can be behind a puppet stage, and no one will ever know who I am, but it doesn't matter to me because I just want to be used. And youth, I want to tell you tonight, if you have that mindset, you know, we make a lot of plans and say, you know what, in, in 10 years, I want to be here. In 15 years, I want to be here. And in 20, I want to have accomplished all of these things. But just make yourself available right here, right now, 
to God. And I promise you, he'll use you. He'll elevate you and put you in the places of people that you would never, ever think that you'd ever belong. You know, you're like, you'll look around and go, man, I'm so amazed at how I got here. How did I get here? And you'll think about the grace of God. Amen? Amen. All right. Hey, that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about grace. I want to talk about grace, and maybe you kind of know what it's about, but I really want to dig into it and and really kind of show you uh, what God has been dealing with me. And I think what God's been dealing with the church and the congregation, I want to kind of tie it in with what we've been talking about. You know, we've been talking about victory and being more than a conqueror. And we established in our lives the past couple of days that God has, has, has a standard for victory in our lives that are way up here. And we've been settling. We've been settling for the crumbs when God has got steak. He's got filet mignon. He's got all of these great things for us to live in. And he says, don't, don't uh, leave this life without living victorious right here. And he wants us to do that. And so when you think about grace, what do you think about? What's, what pops into your mind? Grace. What is grace? I know as a kid, you know, grace was, you know, what we say before we sit down and eat at the table. You guys know what I'm talking about? We say grace, we say something. At our household, when we sat down at the table to eat, before we said grace, my mom required us, my mom and dad required us to say a scripture. All right, we had to say a scripture before we ate. And uh, me, I was always the flashy one, so I had to give like two or three verses and different things. And then, of course, Chris would come in with things like Jesus wept. You know, that's what he'd come in with. Of course, mom would say, uh-uh, got to go back to the bedroom, get the Bible out, you got to come back with something else. So anyway, that's what grace meant to me as a kid. And then especially around the holidays, around Thanksgiving, around Christmas time, I the whole family's there, and dad would get up, and he's getting ready to say grace. And when dad was getting ready to say grace for a holiday, oh, my God, you might as well just, I don't know, you must sit back and relax because pops is going to take a while, all right? He's going to go through praying for the Native Americans. He's praying for everything that God has blessed us with here in this country. And the whole time as a kid, the whole time dad's praying, and I'm in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go for the greens right here. But I know Chris is going to try to block me. But I'm going to go for the cornbread, and Tony's going to try to pull the plate away from me. So I'm going I'm to fake him out, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to get this. And so as a kid, that's what grace meant to us. But we all know the definition of grace. Here's grace. Grace is unmerited favor from God. It's receiving something that you don't deserve. It's receiving something that you don't deserve, nothing that you've done where you're merited grace. But listen to this. When you've been caught and the evidence is on display, that's when you want grace. When your sin is exposed and you're like guilty of everything and they're getting ready to, to sentence you, grace is what you need. It's like this. It's like when, when your parents are going out of town and they tell you don't invite nobody over to the house. No one is allowed at the house. And, uh, you know, you're not having a party or anything. You just want to invite some friends over for some studying time, okay? You know? So well, you invite some friends over at the house and, you know, and everything is going fine. It's not You know, your parents sit down and say, well, Stephen, what, uh, what went on this weekend? Ah, Dad, it was an unproductive weekend, man. I did absolutely nothing. I think I caught up on some reading, you know. I didn't do a whole lot, you know. He's like, oh, really? I said, yeah, I didn't do much, Dad. Well, uh, your youth pastor said he pulled into the driveway and said there was cars all over the yard, Stephen. What's going on with that? 
words. And I was like, uh, right then, right there, when your sin is exposed and you're guilty of it, grace is exactly what you need. Amen? Yes. Hey, nowadays they've got these apps on your phone where you can track your kids or you can even FaceTime and find out what's going on. Back then we had nosy youth pastors who would go and drop in our house and try to figure out what was going on when mom and dad were gone. And so when you're exposed, when you're guilty, you're sentenced and the evidence is right there in your face. Grace is what you want, but you don't deserve. Amen. That's what grace is. There's a difference between grace and mercy. A lot of times we kind of as Christians, we jumble them together. We put them up in the same sentence. But there is a huge difference between grace and mercy. Listen to this. I, I, I experienced both of them at an early age. I remember, we, I think we've told this story before, the time that me and my brother, we, uh, we set a couple of acres on fire. We were uh, trying to smoke a rabbit out of a hole, and uh, we, uh, the fire got out of hand. We burned up a couple of acres, almost burned up a church. Yes, and so... Um, <laughs> mom rushed to the rescue and she's all the neighbors are coming out because this big giant mushroom cloud of smoke is in the neighborhood and every all the people in the neighborhood are getting buckets of water and they're trying to get out the fire and and i just see mom walk up and it was just i mean it felt like like it was a movie all the ashes were slowly like burning behind her and she looked at me and she did the infamous you know she pointed at me she pointed at chris and she pointed that way and I already knew what that meant. That means head to the house. <laughs> so we get to have me and Chris are walking, and we're scared. We're like, man, what, what are we going to do, Chris? Chris was like, man, I don't know, man. But I knew, man, I think Mama, she's going to kill us, man. She's going to kill us. I knew she always wanted to kill me, Stephen. I knew she did. He's like, we got to come up with a plan. We got to do something. What are we going to do? And Chris was like, all right, I got it. I know. Here's exactly what we're going to do. All right, I'm going to distract Mama when she walks in the door, okay? While I'm distracting her, you go to the pantry and grab some crackers, all right? And then when you distract her, I'm going to go to the refrigerator. I'm going to grab some fruit punch, and we're going to run away, okay? That's exactly what we're going to do. And anyway, we got in the house. Of course, that didn't happen because Mama snatched Chris up as quick as she could, and she took him in the bedroom, and I slid under the bed. Boy, I was just waiting and waiting. I don't know what happened in there, but it was a big, huge commotion and everything. And Chris... He came out of that room, and that dude was just rubbing his rear end and stuff. And I know that was mercy, because mercy was exhibited because Chris was still breathing. All right? What mercy is, is not receiving the full weight of punishment for your deeds. It's leniency instead of the full consequences. I, on the other hand, was uh, exhibited grace because I was standing under the bed. All right, she's getting ready to call me. I know she is. She's getting ready to call me. Two minutes pass. Okay, here it comes, Stephen. Tighten up. Tighten it up. Five minutes pass. Nothing. Mama didn't spank me. Oh, man, I was so happy. I call it, back then, I would call it lucky, but that was grace. Mom showed me grace in my life. But listen, the moment you believe that you deserve grace is the moment that you voided its power. The moment that you believe what well, my the things that I've done, the accolades, you should show me grace because of the things that I've done. That's the moment that grace will no longer have effect in your life because you think you did something to deserve grace. But that's not how grace works. Amen. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved 
through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. God handed this thing to you. You didn't do anything to deserve it, but he handed it to you. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It is not by your works or deeds that you have been receiving, that you've received grace in your lives. And as Christians, we have a hard time dealing with that or even understanding that concept because people think, oh, man, you know, I was doing really well. And you know what? I I was at the end of my rope and I I just decided, you know what? I'm going to go to church. I'm just going to go follow God. But that's contrary to what Jesus tells us, because he tells us in John chapter 15, verse 16, you didn't choose me. There's nothing that you've done that merits you salvation or grace in your life, but I'm the one that chose you. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And so we try to think that we did something, that we, oh, yeah, I got up Sunday morning, and I just knew it was time for me to do that. But it was Jesus, it was the grace of God that put it even in your heart and mind to go to church. You know, it was Jesus who who chose you before the beginning of time to add these friends and people in your life to influence you to go to church. Jesus already knew about you. It says while you were we were yet sinners, while wasn't even thinking about God, we weren't even thinking about him. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. It had nothing to do with anything that we have done. And when you begin to understand that, I know that you'll uh, start experiencing the full effect of grace. Amen. You'll never receive or recognize the full power of grace until you are convinced that you don't deserve it. But when you experience it, when you see it and you understand it and you experience grace, I mean, I've seen people just fall to their knees and emotions and crying, understanding and knowing I don't deserve to be here. There's nothing that I've done that deserves me to take this next breath, but it is through the grace of God Now, why I am here? It's the grace of God. I should have been killed a long time ago. I should have been prisoned. But why, God, did you give me this wife? Why do you give me these kids and this family? What did I do to deserve that? And it makes you emotional. It makes you just, I don't know, just want to fall to your knees and begin to cry and thank the Lord Jesus for everything that he's done in your life. Amen? But a lot of times, like I said, as Christians, we, we think that we have to do things. We think that the salvation thing is something that has to be earned in order to get our spot in heaven and get our eternal life. There's a guy in the Bible that I love to go talk, uh, read about that really had a hard time with understanding what grace was. This guy was a Pharisee. He studied the laws and he practiced them. He knew all about the 600 and however many laws there were in the Old Testament. He practiced them every day. He knew about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about Nicodemus. You guys know Nicodemus? Nicodemus, man, he knew the law. He practiced it. He studied the Sabbath day. And it says uh, that these guys were such the elite of the elitist when it came to following the law that on the Sabbath, they would add extra laws just so they wouldn't break the Sabbath's laws. They would do all of these things. So if there's anybody deserving of eternal life, if anybody that's deserving this thing that Jesus is talking about, it should be Nicodemus. And so we'll take up his story. John chapter three, everybody, if you can turn to it. John chapter 3, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Listen to this. He came to Jesus at night. So Nicodemus, he's not, he's coming at night, and he really doesn't want to be associated with Jesus publicly yet. He just want to kind of, you know, slide background, because I don't really know who this guy is. I'm trying to figure out, find out who this guy is. Is he what he says that he is? This is what he says. He says, Rabbi. 
proclaims him as a teacher. He's a good teacher. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. And he says that we know. So that I, I have to believe that he wasn't alone. He wasn't like standing alone. I believe there were other people, other Pharisees that were trying to figure out who is this man? Who is this guy? He says, he says we know that you're a teacher, who has come, a teacher who's come from God. And he says, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he recognizes Jesus and sees what he's done and who he is. And he's got a question that's burning. I know those Pharisees sent Nicodemus off. You got to go ask him. You got to go ask him this question. What is this thing, this eternal life, the salvation? What is this thing that he's talking about? How can we obtain it? Go ask him, Nicodemus. And so he goes and asks him. But the funny thing about it is before Nicodemus got to ask Jesus the question, Jesus stopped Nicodemus. And he begins to tell him and answer his own question before he ever asks it. That's just like Jesus. And doesn't he tell us that he already knows what we're going to ask before we ever open our mouths to do it? And that's what he does right here. In reply, Jesus declared, he answers Nicodemus' question before he asks, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so Nicodemus, he, he didn't get to ask his question, but his, his question is answered. And then now Nicodemus, he, he responds, he, he, he's, he's confused. He says, how can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born again. Jesus begins to introduce this whole new idea of salvation. This whole new idea of grace and salvation and eternal life. And Nicodemus is confused. He doesn't understand it because the way he's been raised and taught is to study the law, to obey the law. You can't disobey the law. Your job is to be the best of the best and continue to study and observe everything that's in the law. And now Jesus says something just way unorthodox and out of context. You must be born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to the flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. He said, Nicodemus, why are you surprised? You're the one that studied the law. You're supposed to be the elite of the elitist. Why are you, why are you surprised? He says, you must, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sounds, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, is, he says, how can this be? Nicodemus asks. Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Listen to this. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, uh, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And it completely blew Nicodemus' ideology away. His, his, his concept, his mind concept, he understood that I have to do things I have to work at things in order to obtain this eternal life, the salvation. And Jesus is, is, is questioning Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, I believe that 
he leaves Jesus more confused than he did before he came. I can only imagine when he walks in, into the synagogue or wherever all the other Pharisees were, he walks in the door and they're saying, well, what, what, what did he say? What did Jesus say about it? What did he say about this eternal life? How do we obtain it? And see, these people were probably thinking, well, maybe Jesus will say, he'll give us another commandment. Maybe he'll give us an 11th commandment that we can do in order to obtain this thing. Or maybe we'll have to take some voyage or trip or do something special in order to obtain this because we know how to do this. We know how to do works. But Jesus is trying to explain to them about grace and salvation. It doesn't work that way. And so he says, you know, he said something about being born again. And, and he also talked about a story in the, about Moses. And see, they understood Moses because Moses was the law. So they understood that. It said, it said, Moses had to be lifted up, and so the Son of Man shall be lifted up, and everyone that believes will have this eternal life. And they were all confused. They all couldn't understand it. But that's not the end of his story. We go to John chapter 7, and people are, are trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Jesus had crowds and multitudes following him. And people are saying, well, is, is Jesus, this guy, he's got to be the Messiah. Well, no, Jesus, he's, he's got to be the prophet. He's the prophet. And they said, well, I, well uh, if he's the Messiah, I thought he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. This guy's not from Bethlehem. And so everybody's wondering who this Jesus is. And so the priest and the Pharisees, they go and they, they send soldiers. They say, hey, go, go get this Jesus and bring him back to me. Let's find out who this guy is. And so we pick up uh, the, the soldiers that come back. We pick up at John chapter 7. We look at verse 45. It says, finally, the temple guards went back to ask the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? This was their reply. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. They said, you mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. And look who we find. Verse 50. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? And now Nicodemus, I think he's got his curiosity aroused because he, 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 didn't, he, he didn't stop there. He asked a question and, and he got a response that he didn't understand, but he didn't just give up because he was determined to find out about this thing called eternal life. And now the Pharisees are trying to find out who Jesus is and they want to arrest him. And now Nicodemus, he speaks out in front of his peers and says, whoa, whoa, wait. Hey, before we ride him off, before we go arrest him, let's find out who this guy is. And so now his story has begun to progress, progress. He's coming to Jesus in the dark. Now he's proclaiming him amongst his peers. But listen, the story doesn't end. Listen to this. Let's go to John chapter 19. We, we come across the scene where Jesus is just being flogged. The multitudes are gone. Everybody that was hollering and screaming for Jesus a, a couple of days earlier, people are laying palm branches down and saying, Glory, Hosanna to the highest. And just a few days later, Jesus is being flogged. 
Where are those people? People are crying, crucify, crucify. And Pontius Pilate, he decides to crucify Jesus and give them the king of the Jews. And they go to Golgotha, the place of the skull. The guards are gambling for Jesus' garment. But somehow in, in John chapter 19, we know that there was a group of Pharisees there that witnessed the sentencing and the crucifixion of Jesus. And we're wondering who's there. Guess who's there? Nicodemus. Nicodemus is there and he's hearing the jeers of the people and, and the guards and the soldiers. And Jesus is crucified and he can't understand it. He didn't get his, his question answered. He didn't get it explained. He doesn't understand. And now Jesus is on the cross. As they put Jesus on the cross and they begin to raise it up, Nicodemus has a flashback. Nicodemus goes all the way back to the first time that he met Jesus. And he remembered that Jesus said, unless the Son of Man be lifted up, for all to see, that's when they believe and they shall have eternal life. That's amazing. That's awesome. Before the disciples ever understood what was going on, Jesus is telling them constantly, hey, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. The Son of Man will die. He'll be persecuted, be a rose, but he's going to rise again. The disciples were clueless. And Nicodemus, who was in search for eternal life in search to understand what this thing about is amazing grace at then at that point he understands it was nothing that i've done all i had to do was believe and he had a flashback and he got it man i saw that and i just began to clap because man it's such an amazing story listen to this john chapter 19 verse 38 listen to this this is awesome later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, he was just like Nicodemus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. That's amazing. Nicodemus and his life of questioning, how do I obtain eternal life? What is this grace thing you're talking about? What do I need to do to get it? And then he sees it and he understands it. And it goes from Nicodemus being in the dark to now he's proclaiming him to the world. This is my Messiah. This is my master. And now I'm going to show the world. I'm not afraid anymore. I understand what it means to have eternal life. And I can't do anything about it. It's not in my deeds. It's not in my acts or the things that I've done. I just got to believe it. I got to accept and receive the gift of grace. Amen? Grace is best experienced in a personal relationship through the presence of God. That's the whole experience. That's what Christmas was all about. How we needed a Savior. We needed grace in our lives. And God saw that. So he sends his son, Jesus, to us when we didn't deserve it. And when you're in a relationship with somebody that, that you don't deserve, that's when grace is best experienced. That's when you're on the wrong side of the scale. And Jesus comes down and he levels that scale out and says, you know what, that's okay. I'm coming with grace. 
and I'm coming. That's what the story of Christmas is all about. Listen, John, he tries to wrap up uh, what Jesus was when he came. He gives his rendition of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. This is what he says. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only, who came from the Father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. Not partial, not just a little bit of grace and a little bit of truth, but Jesus came and he was full of grace and he was full of truth. Here's one thing I, I, I see about Jesus' life. Jesus was never afraid to tell the truth. Listen, there's churches around here that are afraid they're going to offend somebody. They're afraid that they're going to tell the truth and somebody's going to get offended and not come to church. Jesus never held held back grace and he was never afraid to tell the truth. He called sin, sin, and sinners, sinners. If you look at the story of the woman at the well, they begin to talk and Jesus, you know, he knows that she's living with uh, he's, she's been with five men and, and the one that she's with is not her husband. Jesus didn't say, well, it's okay. You know, it's all right. Jesus loves you. I love you anyway. You know, it's going to be okay. That's not what he did. He called her out because Jesus was full of truth. But not only was he full of truth, he was full of grace. He called people out and when he called them out, he said, guess what? I'm going to die for you. I'm going to show you grace in your sin, and I'm going to die for you. Amen? We got the story of the cross. The shame and disgrace of being crucified between two convicts. Two criminals. They probably had a rap sheet. They're habituals. And the disgrace of being crucified between thieves on each side. One of the criminals, he says, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. We know the story. It's found in Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read just a little bit from it. This is what he says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. But the other criminal, he rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? He says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. The criminal is saying that if, if the kingdom of heaven is a place for, for people that, that do good, that, that follow your, your commandments, we're not going. Why are you even up here hurling insults at Jesus? You deserve what you, you're getting right now, but this man, he, he's done nothing wrong. And this criminal, he, he does something a little bit more. Listen to this. He says this. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom? What a ridiculous thing to ask. Why are you asking Jesus to remember you? You know, uh, you messed up. I think it's a little bit too late. It's a little bit too late to ask favor because you're on a cross and you're justly getting persecuted and taking your punishment. Why in the world are you asking Jesus to remember you? Jesus does something that, that, that completely blows man's thinking and man's logic away. Listen to this. He answers a sinner. He answers a criminal. Listen to this. Jesus answered him. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Give God a big hand clap. When I read that, I just, it's amazing. Jesus grants the last minute request of a dying sinner. And that is where grace becomes amazing. Amen? That's where grace becomes amazing. Because listen, the disciples who walked and talked with Jesus, Stephen who was stoned, and now you've got a criminal. He's going to be in heaven with all of these other people. Because grace has nothing to do with anything that you've done. You know what grace does? Grace, it goes... To the, all the way to the back of the line and says, hey, you, you, no, 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 not you, you all the way in the back, come up here, come up here, and you're so overwhelmed, and that's what grace does for us, it's so overwhelming, when you understand the full power of God's grace in your life, I remember when I, I, I experienced it in my life, uh, it was when my wife, she was pregnant, when was she not pregnant, but she was pregnant. And anyway, I was trying to come up with a name. I'm like, God, what do I name this, this, this girl? And I just began to look around and, and, and see God's grace all over my life. I began to see the things that he's done that I didn't deserve. And I began to weep and I began to cry. And I knew right then and there, I've got to name this girl Grace. And there she is right there. I did. I, 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 it was so overwhelming. Some of us, we can't get it right. Our decisions and our mistakes and the things that we profess, they're not lining up with our faith. I'm here to tell you tonight, every time, though, you try to measure up your deeds to the cross, you'll never measure up. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to do enough. You're never going to walk enough elderly people across the street. You're not going to be able to save enough cats from a tree. Nothing that you're going to do is going to obtain this grace thing. It's a gift. Good people don't receive the gift of eternal life. But it's forgiven people reborn in grace that receive salvation. Amen. When you understand the truth, when you understand grace and fully just receive it, you'll look at the cross and you'll just do what Nicodemus did. He just says, all I got to do is receive it and I just surrender. I surrender to this man, this Messiah. 
He receives that gift. And then he goes and just tells the world about it. I believe I shared this story of grace, amazing grace. It's because I believe that it ties along with the victory that God wants in our lives. I believe that God was telling me that we, in order for us to have victory in our lives, some of us have not been showing grace. Some of you know in your heart that God has given you so much grace in your life and you've taken away from other people. You've snatched it away and said, nah. You've held on to it. You've held on to grudges. You've held on to things because somebody offended you. And I shared all of that to tell you and to get you to understand that God has given you so much grace. You don't have time to hold on to these things. You don't have time to hold on to these things because when you understand the power of grace, you won't hold grudges. You just let you, you you just say it's okay. I forgive you. It's okay. I forgive you. And you got to let it go. See, I, when I, I thought about grace, I always remember that scripture, you know, but he said to me, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And when I thought about, thought about my grace is sufficient, I always thought like, it's enough. It's kind of like when you get in your car and you're on E and you just on fumes and you just coast right into the parking lot. It's enough. It's just enough to get me by. But when you look at the story of the criminal that's in paradise with Jesus, the grace becomes overwhelming. You say, oh God, your grace is sufficient. It's way more than I need in my life, God. Thank you so much for your grace. And you, when you begin to show people grace, when you begin to show God's grace in your life and through you, that's when victory begins to come. Amen? Victory begins to come in your life when you begin to show grace. I believe that. The other thing is I really believe that God wanted me to say, some of us are in here like Nicodemus. We have a religious, righteous spirit. And that's why we can't get victory in our lives because we put ourselves up on pedestals and we don't have time for anyone else. We're here. And they're there, and that religious spirit will not show grace and mercy. And it's hindering you from victory in your life. Amen? Hey, just everybody just stand up right now. And God, just begin to, everybody just begin to pray. I really truly believe that that's why the Lord, he, he shared with me in my heart to be able to come to you and talk to you about this thing called grace. This thing that God has for you in your life, and that's victory. And I know I've been guilty of not showing grace in my own life. This message, it was for me. It's just as much as it was for you. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your overwhelming grace. We understand there is nothing that we've done to deserve it. God, we know it's not through our deeds, but when we receive it, we've got to tell everybody about it. We've got to show it in our lives. We've got to show it to the world because, God, how dare us hold grace back from people when God has overextended so much grace in my life. And I don't have time. I've got to have victory in my life. I've got to be more than a conqueror, but, but this sin, this thing has been holding me back because I've hold on to some things. I've hold on to my feelings and my hurt emotions because people have done some things to me. 
Or God, I've, I've just not extended grace, God, because I just felt like I couldn't do it. I can't associate with those people. What is the world going to do? Who is the world going to turn to? The woman at the well, who does she turn to? If we're a Pharisee, are we going to extend grace and truth to these people, to the world? If we can't show grace, I think our world is going to be in a sad state. This generation is looking. They're looking for answers. They're looking for love. They're looking for someone to tell them that they're sick. See, if you don't go to the doctor, then you don't know you're sick. People are walking around with symptoms and they don't even know they're sick. But when they come to church, we can give them grace, but we can also give them truth. Amen. That's our job. God, we pray for grace in our lives right now, God. We want a double dose, an overdose of grace, God, so that we can pour it out on this world, God, to begin to show them the truth and grace, Lord. God, that when you came, God, you were truth and grace, Lord. Help us to be just like you. God, we fall to our knees and thank you, Lord. We know that we shouldn't be here. If tonight you have been holding on some things, and I know even Brother Jerry, he did this last night. If you've been holding on to some things, some feelings, some emotions, some grace that you know that you need to extend to somebody, you've been holding on to something. I'm here to tell you just, we, we got to release it. We got to let it go. We got to release it. We got to let it go. We got to release it tonight. Your victory has to start tonight. And it starts by releasing these things, extending grace, showing God that, God, I love you. God, you've, given, you've forgiven me the largest debt. How can I not, God, show grace? How can I not, God, show your amazing grace? Right where you are, just begin to release it. Begin to release it. We'll ask the prayer team to come down front. Tonight, we're going to live in victory because we're going to release some things in the name of Jesus. We're going to release some spirits, some anger, some, some uh, offensive things that have offended us. Some people, even in our own family, that's made us mad and angered us. And we can't live in victory because they made us mad. They said something. And we can't forgive. We can't extend grace. If that's you right now, if I've talked about you, if you, I'll tell you what, if you just want grace in your life and you want to extend it, you're ready to extend it, you're ready to release, just come on down front. Victory is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He said he's full of grace and truth. God, we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our lives, God. We understand what grace is. We see it, Lord. We want to release the sins, release the things that are holding us back to living life at its fullest and, and our potential. God, we see that in John, that when you came to earth, that you were full of grace and truth wrapped in the flesh. And so we need grace in our situation because we know we don't deserve it. And in that moment, when we're guilty and we're exposed God, we pray for your grace. A lot of you need Jesus to step into your situation. You need grace, so you need Jesus to step in. If you need Jesus to step in your situation right now, you know you're guilty. That makes you a candidate for grace. Just come forward right now. God, we thank you, Lord, that we are a candidate for grace.
because we're guilty, God. But God, we stand before you, Lord, knowing, God, that we need your grace in our lives. We're tired of living the same way we've lived before. We're ready to live victorious, God, but we can't move forward unless we release the things of the past. We can't move on to what you've called us to do unless we look forward and move forward, God. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord. We're ready to show grace, Lord, to those people that offended us. We're ready to show them grace, God, because we've been forgiven a debt. We deserve death and hell, God. But God, your grace is sufficient. It's overwhelming. We don't deserve it, God. God, as we begin to show and extend grace to people in our lives, God, that we begin to claim the victory over our finances, over our families. We begin to claim the victory in our relationships. God, we begin to claim victory over our health, over our well-being, God. We thank you, Lord, as we release, God, these burdens, these chains, these sins that's held us back from victory. We release it. We release it. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us to the front of the line and said, I want you. I died for you. I love you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. God, while we were yet sinners, while we weren't even thinking about you, God, that you you sent your son to die on the cross for us. You extended your hand of grace in our lives. We receive it. We receive it. We know it's not our deeds. It's not anything that we've done, but we know, God, that you've called us from the back of the line. And you said, come forward. Come up here. I got a place for you at my table. Come sit at my table. Come enjoy my feast. Come enjoy the fatted calf that I have for you. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve the family, the friends, the church, the fellowship, the body of Christ. God, but you called us out of our mud and our mire and the muck and said, hey, this is where you belong because I chose you. I chose you before the beginning of time. I chose you before you were in your mother's womb. I had a plan. I had a destiny for you. It was a plan of good and not of evil. I've called you out. Come on to the front of the table. Come on and live a life of victory. I got it for you. It's waiting for you. You can't do anything to get it. There ain't nothing you can do to deserve it. You don't deserve it. As a matter of fact, you're guilty. You've been exposed, but I'm here to die for your sins. And now I've died for your sins. You go and you show grace. You be the lighthouse in your family. You be the lighthouse at your work, at your job. You show grace because you've been forgiven the greatest debt. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord. We don't deserve it. Help us live in victory, God. Help us to be changed from this day and forevermore. We won't go back. We will not go back. We don't even want what we had in the past. It don't even feel good. It don't even taste right. We want what you have for us here, Lord. We want what we have right here, and that's victory in you. We rise, God, to the to the conqueror, the more than a conqueror that you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord, as these chains are broken off of us, these chains of sin and guilt and holding grudges and anger. 
all of these things, God, that have held us back and us not having uh, the freedom to live and to move and to love. We've been walking around with a chip on our shoulders. We've been walking around with the self-righteousness about us and we cannot live in victory. We want to live in victory. We want grace and mercy in our lives, God. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just worship you, Lord. We worship you because we're we're delivered, Lord. We're delivered. This is a milestone. This is a marker in our lives. We set up an altar and say today was the day that we lived in victory. Today was the day that we accept grace in our lives. Today is the day that we forgive the people of the past. Today is the day they will no longer have control over us. Sin will no longer dictate the way I live my life because God has extended grace in my life. So I have to extend grace to other people. No longer will I live and be burdened down. No longer will I live that way. No longer. God, we live in victory. We're free. If the sun sets us free, God, we are free indeed, Lord. We are free free to dance and and laugh and move and we're free because we give grace freely we thank you lord we thank you lord for tonight we thank you for our deliverance we thank you for our freedom just right there there are people that are having breakthrough in their lives just begin to pray for them god we thank you lord we thank you lord for your victory we thank you lord tonight if you need something from god if you need a breakthrough if you haven't experienced victory in your life, hey, we're going to open up the altars. These people are here to pray for you. We're here to link arms with each other to join up with the body of Christ. We can't do it by ourselves. God did not put us here on the earth to live life by ourselves. We got to do this thing together. If you want victory, if you're battling something, whether it be healing, relationships, or finances, or anything in your life right now, just come on down front. We've got people here. We got the prayer team. 